Welcome to Idaho Catholic Podcast. We're here gathered again for another Wednesday, and we have a great topic and a great group to share with you tonight. And we have a full table tonight, so I thought we'd go around the table and introduce ourselves. Let's go ahead and start on my left. Hi, Nick here. And Ryan. And John. And Mike. And this is Deacon Pat coming back to you again for an Idaho Catholic podcast session. Hey, before we jump into our topic, though, we had one of us, I think I referred to him last week as our token Protestant turned Catholic, was was missing last week. He's back with us again today. Hey, uh, Mike, uh, tell us a little bit. We did reference your hunting trip last week. How did it go? Oh, you did? Okay. Well, it was actually the most successful hunting trip I've ever been on. When we... Growing up, you know, it was like, I don't think we ever got a deer. But this year at deer camp, so we had, between all of us, we had eight tags. <clears throat> Excuse me as I clear my throat here from this beer and pizza. Um, so we, we had eight tags, and we filled all eight tags, plus we harvested some roadkill that we came across that was still pretty fresh. Wow. <laughs> so we actually ended up getting like eight and a half deer. I got to tell you, when I heard about the roadkill, the very first thing I thought was like Beverly Hillbillies. <laughs> Classic. Yeah. People actually really do that. They 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 pick up roadkill and take it home and, and well, eat it. Yeah, we went into the sportsman. So we were up in Grangeville, Idaho, and we weren't really sure if we could legally just take it. And because we're not we're not in any sort of cell phone range doing any research, so we went back into town and found the local sportsman's. Um, uh, center and uh, went in we kind of just asked the guy behind the counter he said oh yeah you just go to the fishing game website type in something there to search for I forget what it was I think maybe it was just roadkill and you get a form you fill out and you can harvest the animal you don't even have to fill out the form you know beforehand you can just do it within a few days I think I'm sure some of our listeners that are like from um, California and Oregon, they can, they're can they really relating to what you're saying right now. Yeah. Probably thinking about that delicious possum stew. And <laughs> actually, actually, in Oregon, we just uh, passed a salvage law as well. So it's the same as I okay. know. But it's like the whole thing, you know, like, like a Jeff Foxworthy <clears throat> joke, right? You might be a redneck if you're picking up roadkill. Yeah. And you Dude. know what harvesting roadkill actually means. <laughs> right. <laughs> if you know how to legally harvest Well, harvesting kill. probably is more like the, the politically correct term of it, you know. Salvaging. Right. <laughs> Salvaging or, yeah. you know. No, it's know. scraping it up. <laughs> right. But there's like a joke about that, right? The, like a restaurant that serves just roadkill and they have all those funny names for... You know, awesome possum, and I don't know. <laughs> okay, before um, one more thing, I wanted to touch base on um, tonight. So we we uh, we're actually uh, still eating some of our our dinner while we're um, sharing this podcast with you. But we had a, a very special apparatus show up today with some great uh, brew. Nick, you want to tell us what you brought in today? Sure, I brought in a gallon and a third of what I call R2-D2. That stands for a Red Rye Daydream. It's a Red Rye beer. Uh, one of, I think, my best recipes, although Mike was partial to my last one, I think. so. But happy to share it. Yeah, I think it's delicious. What do you guys think of it so far? I like oh, it. Oh, it's great. It's yeah, good flavor. Um, little, It's actually a little... Usually, the ones I've had from you have been lagers so far. 
What is what is what actually is this one? It's an ale. It's an yeah. ale. Okay. Mm-hmm. So I'll attach a picture um, with this podcast, so you'll be able to see the. Um, I don't know what you call it. Is that a mini mini keg or what do you call it? Yeah, that'd be a mini keg. Yeah, <laughs> micro keg. Micro keg. Yeah, it's it's pretty cool though. Okay, so Mike, what are we going to talk about today? Well, we thought we'd jump into um, a, a really non-controversial topic. <laughs> Um, examining the cosmological arguments for the existence existence of God, and and why did you pick this topic, or or where did this come from? Well, so as we've mentioned in the past, we have uh, adult family, a family education ministry, whatever you want to call it, um, right after mass on Sundays, and the the five actually the, yeah the five of us here take turns teaching that so. Um, my topic this last Sunday was uh, using natural law to uh, prove the existence of God. Although I would, I would, I, you know, I, I really, and I talked about this briefly in the talk about using the word proof may not be the best word. I, I, I tend to use that one, but maybe a better word for that would be evidence. Now, what do you guys think about that as far as which word? Do you think makes the most sense or um, should be used? Doesn't matter. Am I, am I splitting hairs here? No, I, I think that's good. Um, so, I think in the in the public social vernacular, if you will, like normal words that people would use, the they're not thinking of the philosophical context of the of the term proof. Mm-hmm. You know, they're not using that that definition. So it's. Yeah, I would I would go with the other, you know, evidence. Evidence, yeah. Yeah. When I first thought about this topic, um, <clears throat> one of the things that came to mind was really the subject: d- Does God really exist? And then where do we go from there? I got to tell you, I was a little intimidated with uh, with the the content. I think this it, it's it's I think it's very difficult to explain. And sometimes difficult to comprehend. It is. So I think we're going to try to um, drill it down a little bit to kind of the Joe the Plumber view today, <laughs> if we can. Right. And we're, we're, so we're going off of the five ways written out, uh, described by Thomas Aquinas. So, and you know, the, you, you um, talked about, John, about how it's um, uh, the, uh, it's, you said you use the word philosophical. And I think that a lot of times people get confused and think that proving the existence of God is more of a scientific question. Right. And I, I would, I would, I strongly disagree with that. I think it's a philosophical question because, and I use this example in my, in my um, talk is like I heard this once from Patrick Madrid, a Catholic apologist, talking about how if you know, say I went out and I bought a new house, and it was the architect of it was the famous architect Frank Lloyd Wright from Arizona, at least that's where I know I'm from. And, you know, I had this big party to celebrate it, you know, a housewarming party, and everyone's there, and they're, like, arguing about, Frank Lloyd Wright didn't, didn't build this house. And, like, I'll prove it. And they went and they looked through the house, they went in the crawl space, they went and dug up the yard, they looked in the attic, they went through every nook and cranny of the house and tore open some of the walls, and like, see, he's not here. And I think this scientific method of saying, does God exist, is is much like that, you know. God, when he created the the universe and matter, you know, he, he you're talking about a being who is 
outside of that. And so, yes, Frank Lloyd Wright may have been in the house at some point in time, you know, right? But to, to look for him, you know, for some man out there in the, or, you know, being out there within the universe is not the way to, you know, that's, that's, that's what we call scientism. At least the way I understand it. Yeah, kind of. I was I was listening to the radio today. It was Catholic Answers, and they were talking about how um, how you use science and faith, and and how how often it's very very difficult to try to prove the difference between you know something from a scientific standpoint and something from a philosophical standpoint. And they gave the example of of matter. We all know that there's matter. There's things, you know, that we we know that they exist. And then they got together a bunch of uh, quantum physicists, and they said, well, well, prove us scientifically what matter is. And they couldn't do it. They said, we can prove lots of things about matter, but we can't use science to actually prove matter. We all know it exists. We see it in front of us, but we can't prove it with science. And it really showed, really, that there's limitations for science. And I think when I, when I heard that, I really thought about God. We know, many, for many of us, we know that there's a God. We have a relationship with a God. But if you're asking me to use science to prove that God, um, I know I'm a lot less smart than those quantum physicists, and they couldn't do it with matter. So it was just a thought that I had today. Yeah, that's yeah. interesting. Yeah. yeah, Deacon Pat, that's exactly true. Another great analogy that I've heard used, too, is that let's just say we go into a, a, an art museum and it's an exposition of, of a particular artist. And so you'll see all of these works on the wall and we'll say, okay, you know, here's, here's uh, you know, Nick's the painter of all of these. And so we'll look at each of the styles and, you know, what does each of these paintings say and what do they contain and what are the colors? And, you know, we can describe all of these things. And they, they allow us some insight into Nick's likes and you know wants or dislikes or you know maybe his viewpoint of the world but really what can we grasp from those paintings that say you know we know nick now you know and and without nick actually stepping into the room and and revealing himself to us you know we're just kind of grasping at straws of you know nick's kind of like this or nick likes these these sorts of things this is what nick likes to do you know we could we can probably point to those things but we couldn't say with any certainty you know real concrete substance of what what nick is about but that is nick right we right i understand yeah. yeah and so that analogy works really well and i think that 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 is a good example of the difference between the use of proof versus evidence Oh yeah, yeah. Hey, so we have um, we have these lists, and um, yep. I think they're simplified in front of us. Let's start talking. Let's pick one of these proofs and start talking about it a little bit. Does someone want to read one of these off? If this does justice to it or not? Yeah. Did you? You guys have so those you in front of you? There, yeah. Sure. Those are the five ones that Thomas Aquinas has are um, the cosmological arguments and the teleological argument. And under the, under the cosmological arguments, he's got four in there. Um, so we got the, the unmoved mover, argument from motion, argument from causation, argument from contingency, 
an argument for d- degrees. Let, let's start first, and let's talk a little bit about the uh, <clears throat> the unmoved mover argument. Um, can, can I share this with you guys, and let's talk about it a little Read bit. Read it off. Yeah. So we know that there is motion in the world. Whatever is in motion is moved by another thing. This other thing also must be moved by something. To avoid, to avoid an infinite regression, we must pose it. Is it pause it? Pose it? Pause it. Pause it. Pause it the first mover, which is God. So what does that actually mean, you guys? What, what do you think that that means? So does everybody understand what an infinite regression is? No, help, <laughs> help us. <laughs> Never heard of it. Ryan, can you <laughs> take that one? Hmm. <coughs> do you, do you know? Can you help us? Let's yeah. See. Okay. So one of, the, one of the aspects of this, uh, uh, so from, from the argument of motion, and then the other ones that we'll get into is causes, and then also, uh, what's the other one? The third one. Contingency. Contingency. Okay, so all of those are one thing moves another, which moves another. The but dominoes. If you, yeah, so if you look at it in, in, uh, in reverse, like, okay, I see a domino fall. Well, what caused that domino to fall? Well, it was the domino just before it. And so if you continue to regress in the past, you know, is it infinite? Does it go, does it never start and never end? You know, if it never ever, if it doesn't have a point in time now, <laughs> did it, does it ever have a beginning or will it ever have an end? And so that logically doesn't really, uh, there's not much meat there because it doesn't, it had to have begun at some point in time. So that's the, that's the, the term of uh, infinite regression, if you will. Um, infinite regression isn't logical. Sounds logical to me. <laughs> so I, I think a lot of people can identify with, um, e- even people that believe in like the evolution of man, that, that somewhere it had to start. And, and who is the person to start that? Is am I am, is this does that go along with then move mover or no? No, it does. I think. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, well, these who, are who all started this in motion in the first place, right? Right. Right. And so the, this is just breaking, maybe breaking the the physical world down into different components. Maybe we should have started there. Okay. What are things that we can see in in the world? And, and uh, Deacon Pat, you alluded to that in, when we read this first thing, that we notice that things are in motion. Things change. You know, they're, um, you know, whether it's the wind or, you know, a stone rolling down the hill, you know, those sorts of things. So I think even Bishop Barron talked about it being like thoughts. Your thoughts are in motion. You know, you're, I forget what, how he said it. Thoughts are in motion in what way? Do you have a general sense of what he was getting at? Is it the way that we... I'm, I'm okay, thinking, here it is. Okay. The quote was, when, when Aquinas speaks of motion, he means changes of any kind, not simply changes of location, growth and wisdom. That's what I'm thinking about there, growth and wisdom. Ah, okay. Fluctuation okay. in temperature, birth, death, etc. Okay. Yeah, that clarifies it. Yeah. Hmm. Basically, anything you can study with physics, and plus, I guess, yeah. your mind too. You know, and I, I was 
I remember like a while ago, I don't know, reading, reading maybe it was uh, on the radio or reading an article somewhere. It was like, you know, scientists have created matter out of nothing, you know? And then go into the process of how they did it. And it's like, they were talking about these, I, I, you know, this is like years ago, I read this article, so I, I don't, no, don't, don't, no one quote me on this out there. But it was like, you know, you sort of, the word quantum was in there, you know, and they're talking about how they, they, you know, created matter. And it's like, well, they did this like in this very controlled environment. And so, and then they were talking about the laws of science that cr- made this happen about, you know, come, come about. And I was like, well, you're just, you may, you may have kicked the can further down the road, but who created these quantum laws that you're talking about? And how did this environment get set up for this to happen in the first place? And, and so you're just kind of kicking the can further down the road, the infinite regress, that's great. You know, and I say, let's use science like that. Let's figure that out, you know? But it doesn't, it doesn't in any way disprove that there's a God who started the whole process. You're just like kind of pushing the can, like I said, kicking the can further down the road. I think sometimes that uh, there ends up being a rather convenient missing link when you're trying to argue for in an atheist's point of view, where it's like there's God or there's science. They have a convenient missing link there as if they are completely separate things instead of mm-hmm. one caused by the other. Right. They'll, they'll look at nature and science and say, this causes this, and you can keep going back with them. And they're, it's very convenient that there's never something that connects to God, even though it's like, then, then what is the cause? I'm just going to keep going on in this infinite regression, mm-hmm. right? But what I love here is but the last statement, therefore it is necessary to arrive at a first mover put in motion by no other, and this everyone understands to be God. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's not all of these things that we can see. It's that yeah. first, you know, what started all this together, or started moving. Um, because what would be a counter-argument? What would like an atheist say when you, when you ask them to, to go backwards, and, and, and how did this all start? Have you guys ever heard what an argument would have been? From from an atheist, I, I haven't, so I don't know. <clears throat> oh yeah, I, I can't. It would it would be a straw man if I tried to explain it again. You know, re, re, redo it. But yeah, definitely, they, they, there are arguments, counter arguments. Mm-hmm. I think the uh, what was it the, the 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 PBS video I showed the, the guy? What was his name? Hank, Hank something. Green. Hank Green. Yeah, um, he said that. Who's to say if, if, if there is such thing as an unmoved mover like God, that, that, that would apply to God, why can't that apply to other things? That's a great, that's a great response, I think. Yeah. What right. do you guys think? Right. No, it, and if you leave it at that, it's like, wow, that's pretty deep. Yeah. You know? how, would you, how would you guys respond to that? Read the rest of the Summa. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, yeah. I, did, I did hear today that... that People will sometimes try to overanalyze what Aquinas was doing with this. He never, I don't, I don't know if this is accurate or not, but this is what I was, was reading today. Um, it came off the internet. It has to be true, right? Exactly. Um, yeah. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. yeah. But um, <laughs> Glad it, I know now. It was saying, though, that in his exploration of this, it was never meant to be the total proof 
that, that God existed. This was his way of working through, but it was never at such a deep level that this would be the tell-all of all times for the proof of God. Have you guys ever heard anything about that? Well, yeah, he says himself in the beginning that uh-huh. this is instruction for beginners. Okay. So, yeah, it's definitely... Yeah. So it was, never meant, it was never meant to be scrutinized at such a level that it is entirely in-depth to prove yeah. entirely the existence of God, right? And starting out, these, these five ways were um, the basis, the absolute build, you know, basic building blocks of what he was going to build upon. So he was trying to address, well, what about moving things? What about you know, created things, you know, and so kind of went at it from that direction and then built on those. Um, I think uh, that PBS video also was saying like, well, it doesn't, these, these five ways doesn't prove that there's just one God. It could be a whole bunch of God and it could be a committee, mm-hmm. you know, but you know, all actually the answer to that is if you continue reading, <laughs> it was, yeah. these are the basic premises that he's trying to lay out terms and concepts and, you know, a, a, a thought, a little world for us to kind of consider things in, and then he starts building off of these. Yeah, I mean, in fact, these arguments don't prove that God is not a committee, and they're not mm-hmm. meant because they're not meant to. You could read this proof and say, yeah, God could be a committee, or yeah. God could be a rock, like Hank Green like he said. said. Yeah. He could be some kind of rock, but that's. But uh, Aquinas wrote these, and they're they're summaries of of um, hundreds of other arguments where he proves every single clause in each of these. And then he starts, after he after he lays these out towards the beginning of the Summa, he goes on to write hundreds of pages about God's nature. Now that, now that he is, you know, he starts out deciding whether or not God exists, because that's, before you can decide what God is like, you have to determine whether or not he exists. So... <clears throat> these aren't meant to talk about the nature of God, really. They're, uh, that's what the rest of the Summa's for. Mm-hmm. Right. So it's unfair of Hank Green or any other philosopher to, like, uh, uh, there's been a, a bunch of other modern philosophers who've just focused on shredding the five ways and saying, oh, you know, these have all kinds of flaws, so therefore God doesn't exist. But it's unfair for any of them to do that because they aren't... Um, they aren't being honest to Aquinas' intentions with these five ways in the first mm-hmm. place. I heard one of the speakers on the radio today for this program that I was listening to, and it said people that are really seeking the truth in life, they love to hear arguments that challenge them and even challenge their foundation because then they can dive deeper into what they think they believe or dive deeper into the truth to try to support what is really the truth out there. And what this person was saying, he must have been an apologist as well. He said, when he comes across an atheist, unless this is something you said, Mike, and I'm confusing it, but he says, when you come across an atheist and they're, and they're trying to refute a lot of these things, one of, the, one of the questions they like to ask is, well, what are some of the arguments that have been very done very well that really does support the... Um, the, the existence of God. And what do you think about that? Because there are the same person was saying there are very, very good arguments against God. And and they're they're put together very, very well. And that has even challenged their faith to a certain extent. 
And by, by having to work through those, they were actually really able to deepen their faith. But they said when you ask that kind of a question to most people, not all, but most people that are atheists, um, they can't even mention one really argument that they're really struggling with because they're not really open to the truth. And I thought that was really interesting to hear that. Yeah, I think it was Trent Horn that... Was that who it yeah, was? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Sounds like something he'd say. I have no idea. I listen to so many people. I have no idea where they come from. Yeah. But, but uh, I thought it was very wise, so I was going to give you credit, Mike, for that. <laughs> yeah, I'm just a parrot. <laughs> yeah, he says, like, well, what, a lot of times he'll ask atheists on the college show for Catholic Answers, he, he, where it's just, you know, atheists only call in, and he'll ask them, um, well, what would prove to you that there is a God? And, and a lot of times it's like, there's nothing, you know? So they're not really and, open to the truth. Right. Okay. Yeah, and he gives this illustration, like, what if, like, everybody that has ever been in the world that had the name of Brian suddenly arose from the dead and started singing Can't Stop Believing" by Journey, you know, then would you believe in God? <laughs> like, well, no, I wouldn't, because we just haven't discovered what scientific reason caused that. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, you know, that, they'll take it that far. Sure, sure. Okay, let's jump into one of these other um, proofs. What are these? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> let's reel it back in. And <laughs> well, it's like that—that that really the first three kind of all. Yeah, they're all kind of. They're, they're all. They all seem very. Okay, so the very that. first one, the unmoved mover argument. That's that's the domino one, right? Somebody had to push the first domino to make everything. That's the way I understand it. Yeah. So so what's what's another one of these proofs that we could talk about? Come on, guys. Well, pick, the, pick one and read it. And then well, let's the second one is the first the argument from causation, yeah. the first cause argument. So you could say, for example, a table is brought into being by a carpenter. The carpenter was caused by his parents, who were caused by their parents, and on and on and so forth. Um, but then Aquinas says we cannot have an infinite regression, so we must have a first cause, which was uncaused by anything else. And... Um, that would be God. Either way, you have to b- believe, don't you, don't you have to believe that something is infinite? There has to be something out there that's infinite that has always existed. Yeah. And it's yeah. got to be outside of the caused realm. You know, it's, it, can't, it can't have been caused because if it was caused, it'd just be a bigger thing among many other little things. Yeah. You know? and, and so, yeah, it's not one of all of these things that we can put our finger on. It's outside of that. So it's got, and that's what we would refer to as God. Mm-hmm. Why do you think people struggle with these kind of concepts in our world today? Why, why do you think? What, 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 are, what, what are the obstacles or what are the influences that keep people, you think, from wanting to believe in a God? What, why do you think? I think part of what we deal with is how materialistic our culture has gotten. We, we look at what we have, things we can see, and these are things that are important to our lives and our, in our society anyway. And I think that kind of creates a barrier to anything past physical things that do something for you. And I think sometimes that's where, where we end up. That's a good point, Nick. Um, also, it's inconvenient, I would mm-hmm. say. It's inconvenient to say that... Uh, um, I'm not in control of, of everything. And, and at the end of the day, 
there's got to be this unmoved mover, this uncaused causer, you know, that, that really has a uh, uh, finger on it. Mike shaking his head and just distracted all of us. <laughs> I thought that music was going to come on, so I was kind of going, no. <laughs> so, John, were you, were you agnostic at some point? I, I, I forget your background exactly. No, I was uh, Lutheran. And but not very much so. Okay, it wasn't that. But um, I studied anthropology, um, and archaeology, those sorts of things. And so, yeah, you see this these same types of discussions all around the world, and you see evidence for it in uh, you know, past cultures. You see it evident in in every single culture around the world currently practiced. Whether um, you know, I love to see the. Uh, the place that religion has in all societies, because it it definitely shows that it's not just a a small portion of us that believe that there's something outside of us, you know, whether we were Catholics or Buddhists or whatever. I mean, you know, from the religious perspective, there's something out there. So in that industry, though, I would and this is I'm going to totally stereotype you and all your buddies, okay, <laughs> my buddies. But I imagine that they're all that there's a lot there's a high higher number of agnostics and atheists in the industry. So that's what I do, was thinking do, too. I do, was thinking you, the same thing. Yeah. I don't want to offend anyone, of course. Well, but I think that might that, be a little bit unfair. Okay. From the, so from I offended everyone out there. I'm yeah. sorry. Great job. <laughs> I, I've been educated now. No, I, I think I what it is. I have more faith in anthropologists for the record. <laughs> <laughs> no, what I think it is, is it, it's, uh, you know, for sure there's going to be those out there, but, uh, from the other perspective, I think it's also a reflection of a respect for other faith practices and, and faith beliefs that it's it's just not me saying oh that's good for you and that's your religion you know and I have mine you have yours you know it's not that it's more of a it's more of an appreciation um, in a uh, academic sense that I recognize that you do have your your belief system and I, I recognize how important that is to you. And in fact, I recognize that that's a, a main pivotal driver in, in your belief system, your culture. And, you know, and so you recognize that and, and uh, you know, you might not agree with that morally or ethically, but it still is in practice. It's still a fact, you know. And so from that perspective, I think there's an appreciation mode to it. Um, also, because they're more practicing professionals, I don't think they want to offend anybody and say, um, you know, I have that color there, scientific study. Or uh, I knew it. I knew it. Jeez. Yeah, I, I, I think I think we didn't need any more than 30 minutes to cover this whole topic. <laughs> I don't know about you guys. But anyway, our 30 minutes is up. And um, thank you guys for listening. Um, I think we just scratched the surface here. But anyway... Good luck to you guys, and God bless you. I see our music stopped, so I guess I better stop. <laughs> Good night. <laughs> Bye. Bye-bye. <laughs>